Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Last day of the year, last chapter in the Bible. Revelation 22. Everybody open your Bibles. I don't care if you have a physical Bible, if it's on a device. To the teenagers in the back, Revelation 22. For all the three to five-year-olds who usually go to children's worship, but you are in here right now, lean over to your mom, your dad, your grandma, whatever adults next to you, and say, open your Bible to Revelation 22. It's the last day of the year. This is the last chapter. Now, here's the deal in Revelation, all right? There are different ways people interpret Revelation and read Revelation, think about it, but Revelation is written to a group of people who were experiencing severe forms of persecution. So Revelation is not just saying this is what happens when, uh, when, when heaven becomes reality for all of us. It's not just about the end of times. It's, it's trying to encourage people who were in need of hope. They were in need of motivation. They were in need of just knowing that their faith, that their faith is real, that, that, that faith is worth it, that faith has not been a waste of time for them. Right, so Revelation is written to people who were in need of an injection of hope and motivation for life and for living. So Revelation 22, the way our Bible ends, it ends with this beautiful imagery. And here's, here's what you have, the, last, the first two verses of Revelation 22. An angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And I want that to sit there for us just for a moment on the screen. It's for the healing of the nations. Revelation was written to people to help them to know that no matter how bad things, things seem to be now, God knows how the story ends. And the ending gives us hope now. The ending fills us with hope now. This is how the Bible ends, and it ends to inject hope and to give motivation. And I don't know if that's where you are on the last day of the year. If you need an injection of hope, some motivation in life, or just to know your faith is not a waste of time. The Bible ends by reminding you that the hope that we have in our future is the hope that God gives us now. I hope you had a good Christmas break. I got back on social media a couple of weeks ago after being off for, uh, for a couple of months and I was able to see some of you posting about your family and things you did and I'm sure some of you, it was full of fun and joy and gifts and travel and family and then detox from family, right? Maybe, maybe for some of you. And, I, and just seeing some of the pictures, they were great. And I'm, and I'm grateful you give us a peek into your family life. And I also know there are people in this worship experience today, either in person or online, where the last week or so, has been, you've just been reminded of loss and grief, and maybe there's loneliness. And, and maybe it was hard for some of you. You got on social media, and you saw all these happy pictures, and, and you were just, it, it, did, it just wasn't good for your soul. And sometimes it's probably good for you. Just don't scroll through social media for the sake of your sanity and mental health. I'm just glad we're here in this space today on the last day of the year. And I don't know what reflection looks like in your life. But today I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about water and what it means for our spiritual lives. And I want you to think about reflection, what it means for your life. And maybe you've spent days and maybe you've spent time reflecting on your life or reflecting on what a new year needs to look like for you. But I want you today to think about water and to think about reflection for you. Throughout the Bible, water, in fact, in the very beginning, water is not something God created. When you read Genesis 1, water is just there. 
Like it was there with God in the very beginning. And then the Bible ends in Revelation 22 with something I just read to you where there's a tree of life that's there next to that water. And throughout the entire Bible, there are moments when God uses water to save and deliver people. There are times where God uses water to heal. There's times God uses water to redeem or to restore. In Exodus 14, God uses water to to help save people and deliver them from Egypt, to bring them into a new land. There are times in the Bible when prophets would tell people or Jesus would tell a blind man to go to a water and wash and you will be healed. You will experience redemption from God. Of course, there's baptism in in the New Testament where people are invited into water and people are invited out of water throughout the entire Bible. It's like God wants you to know there is living water for you. Water is here to heal and to help us. I had a moment with God when I was 19 years old. And, and at that point in my life, I had, developed, uh, I had developed a prayer life. I knew prayer was more than just a vending machine where we're just tossing in like coins, hoping that God will give us what we ask for. At the age of 19, I went to San Francisco with some friends. We went on a spring break campaign, so we were doing mission work uh, in San, San Francisco. And one day we went to Mere Woods. It's, it's uh, the place with all the redwood trees. Fascinating. <laughs> and as, when we were there, our leader said, hey, Uh, We have plenty of time today, and we don't need to be to our next place for a little while, so here's what we're going to do. Everybody's going to have solo time. I want you to go somewhere in this forest for one hour and spend it alone with God. This is a pretty good challenge for us. I don't know at that point in my life if I had ever prayed for a full hour, uninterrupted hour before. And we were just commissioned, like, go out, find a place, spend an hour alone with the Lord. So I went to this, I found this bridge that uh, sat over this, it was a stream, but it was only a few feet, but it was a, this, this stream that was moving. So you could kind of hear the sound of, of the stream that was moving. And I sat on this bridge and I sat over this stream. And, and for most of my life, like there's something about being next to water sometimes when I pray that just creates connection. And as I sat over this stream, I used it to reflect on my own life and I had a pretty good knowledge of the Bible at that point. I was thinking about what water means to faith and about my baptism. And then in this one moment, I, I spit. I just spat into the, into the stream. And I didn't think anything of it, but it became a moment of connection between God and me. And it wasn't like God was like, well, you spit in the stream. What else are you going to do in life? You got to put gum under the table at Chick-fil-A? Like, you got to throw trash out the window? I didn't sense that. It was, I was looking at this clear perfect stream and then I I spit and it kind of messed up what was clear and what seemed to be perfect and it led me into just a a reflection with God about sin in my own life in which I felt covered by the grace of God in the moment but it also led me to reflect on fruitfulness to think how massive these redwood trees were all around me in this little bitty small stream but how all these trees were in need of they needed to be somewhat close to a body of water just to help them bear fruit so it got me thinking even about revelation 22 what i read to you just a moment ago about this fruit that provides healing for all of the nations and how in revelation it wants people to know who are dealing with chaos all around them that god still produces fruit in his people no matter where they are in life and and it gave me this way at 19 years old just to reflect on god so what does reflection look like in your life? In the year 2019, uh, I told this story about five years ago. My family, we took a road trip all the way out to the West Coast. 
And I was using the month of July as a serious time of reflection for my life. Uh, so this was five years ago. And that summer I was journaling. I was reading books. I was going, I had a therapist. I was in conversations about just processing a few things I, I needed to process. So we were going all the way out to the West Coast. And, you know, we do this dad-son baseball trip. We've done this for a number of years, uh, the boys and I. And every once in a while, we'll let Casey go. Like, she'll go on a trip, but we don't invite her to the baseball games. And if we did, she'd probably say no. Uh, sometimes she goes on the trips with us. And when she does, she's like, I, the thought of Casey, for her, like to stay in a hotel room and watch Hallmark and order in food and have a few hours of just quietness is, is like brings so much joy to her life. But while on this trip, there was one day she was like, I'm going to a Dodger game with y'all. And we're like, well, did, did we invite you? Like, did we take a vote? Uh, and, and she's like, I gave birth to them. I, I can go for, to, I want to eat a Dodger dog. And I was like, baby, let me spare you having to buy, spare us having to buy an $80 ticket for you to eat a Dodger dog. I'll bring you a Dodger dog back to the hotel. She's like, I want to eat a Dodger dog at Dodger Stadium. So she has gone to one baseball stadium with us. And we went to San Diego. In San Diego, we were staying downtown, San Diego, beautiful downtown. The boys and I went to a game. Casey stayed back at the hotel. The boys and I have our routine. When we go to games, we get there an hour early. We walk around the park. We eat after the third inning, ice cream after the sixth inning. Like, we have this routine. Well, Casey sent me a text message in the sixth inning and said, hey, I, I decided to go out and just see downtown San Diego, and I found this beautiful restaurant. Here's where I am after the game. Come, I'm on the patio. So we did. We went and found her after the game. We're sitting in downtown San Diego. I had already eaten a lot of stuff that night. But when I sat down at that restaurant on the patio with Casey, I noticed that jambalaya was on the menu. And I don't know about you, but there are moments in life you feel like you're completely full and you can't eat anything else. And then all of a sudden, like a certain food appears and you're like, you know what? I'm not as full as I thought I was. You know, I do have room to eat something else. So I ordered some jambalaya. This was five years ago. My boys didn't have, a, you know, they didn't have cell phones at the time, so they wanted to get back to the hotel so they could play on electronics and go swim. So they started to do what kids know how to do. They, started, they were just agitating each other and fighting. And they know when they do that, it speeds things up for parents because we don't want to stay. Kids would never do this in church, all right? Only, only all those other public places. So they're agitated. So I ordered my food, and then I went ahead and paid for, I paid for it right then. I was like, man, here's a credit card. You just... I want to go ahead and pay for it. So we got back to the hotel that night, went to sleep. I woke up the next morning to get a workout in. So I woke up, and as I was going to get a workout in, I noticed a gift shop, and Casey collects salt and pepper shakers. So I was going to go buy her a salt and pepper shaker. So I found the perfect San Diego salt and pepper shaker. And then I got my money clip out to look for that credit card to pay for the salt and pepper shaker, and it wasn't there. I'd left it at the restaurant the night before. I immediately started blaming my boys in my head. It's all their fault. Because they made me speed up, right? And then I, so I called the restaurant about 10 o'clock. They didn't even have brunch, but somebody opened the, or answered the, answered the phone. And I said, by chance, did anyone leave a credit card at your restaurant last night? And they said, sir, you were in luck. Seven credit cards were left at our restaurant last night. <laughs> I said, by chance, is there a Bank of America Visa card? They said, you are in luck. We have one Bank of America Visa card. And then the voice on the other side of the phone said, but judging by the sound of your voice, your name is not Latoya, is it? <laughs> I was like, no, it isn't. So I lost my credit card. And that's when it hit me. I'd been reading a book. I had the book on the trip with me. 
I, I had just read the introduction to this book just days before. And in the introduction, here was a quote that Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. This was in the introduction of her book. And, the, and the, what it said was, losing your soul is like losing a credit card. That you think it's in your wallet, so you don't give it much thought until one day you reach for it and you can't find it. And I remember when I read that, I remember when I read it, I thought to myself, all right, great point, good metaphor, good illustration. I take so much pride in my life of being somebody who I don't lose keys and I don't lose my wallet. I, I just don't lose things. And there I was, I lost my credit card and I went back and we just able to cancel the card. Everything was fine, but I was able to just go back to that book and open it up. And Ruth Lee Barton, she's not talking about like losing your salvation and needing back in. She's writing this book about the core of who you are, like the soul of who you are, the center of who you are. And that there are moments it's bruised or we lose it and sometimes we don't know it until we need it and we reach for it and it's not there. And I don't know if that's a story or if that's a quote that gives you just a little way to reflect on 2023 for you. How's your soul as you go into a new year? Has it been damaged in 2023? Have there been moments that you've lost it? You've lost sight of it? You've strayed away just a little bit from your center? How's your soul? I want to talk about the Jewish faith just for a moment. And we wouldn't have a Christian faith if it's not for a Jewish faith. The last month of the year on the Jewish calendar is a month called Elul. It's E-L-U-L. And it's an entire month of reflection. So for you, I don't know if you have like a moment of reflection or a day of reflection, or maybe you have not reflected at all, and now you're going to hear this sermon. Maybe at some point today you'll reflect just for a moment, but for the Jewish faith, it's an entire month of reflection. It begins with Rosh Hashanah, and then you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then it, I mean, sets the tone for the entire month. And in that month, there's a lot of symbolism. And there is some symbolism in faith that maybe we even use sometimes. It comes across sometimes as cheesy, but, but, but it hits. Like you remember things. So in the Jewish faith, there are times in this month where there are certain things they read every single year. They read Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2 verse 3, reminding them about Creator God. They read Genesis chapter 18, which is a story about Abraham bargaining with God. They read Genesis 21 and 22. It's a story about Abraham binding his son Isaac. It's a story of radical trust in God, obedience to God. They read Nehemiah chapter 8. It's a story about a love for the Word of God and revival. They read Isaiah chapter 55. So there are certain things they read every year. And they practice reflection and remembering well. And you're going to hear us more in the year 2024 talk about this Hebrew word, zakar, Z-A-K-A-R. And the meaning of this word is it's, it's an awareness and realization, not just of the past, but what it means for the future. So when you see remember or reflect pop up in your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's not just like what some of us may have done over the last few days when you're with family, where you go back and you talk about those days of growing up or stories with family. It's not just that. When you see remember and reflect pop up in the Bible, it's not just remember back then or reflect on that. It's what does that mean for now? Like what does it mean as we move into the future? So in this month of Judaism, they eat, uh, they eat bread, and, I'm, uh, and we have bread. It's not unleavened bread because we, we kind of want you to see bread that's up here next to the cup. And the bread that they eat in that month, it's always round. 
and there's symbolism that goes with it. For one, it's round because at the end of the month, what the Jews are teaching their kids and reminding each other of is throughout the year, they're 12 months of the year, throughout the year, there are seasons of the year. There's seasons of, of grief and joy and happiness and sadness and all these emotions fit within a year. And the reason they also eat round bread is to remind themselves of those moments throughout the year when I have, I've strayed away, there was intentional sin in my life. We're reminded that God circles back and that God is on the move to redeem his people, that restoration is always on the heart of God. It's always on his mind. And it's also round to remind them of the crown of God. This is, I know symbolism sometimes does weird things too, but the people remember it. It reminds them of the crown that is on King, the King, God, the King, the, the sovereignty of God. And then there's a ceremony they have. And this ceremony is called Tishlik. And this ceremony is about casting their sin into moving water. So this isn't just for an individual to go find moving water during the month of Elul. It's for the entire community will find a body of moving water, whether it's a river, a stream, by the ocean. They go to a river of water or, or a place of moving water and there they literally cast their sin. They, it's either sin represented by bread that they throw into the water or stones that they throw into the water, but they cast their sins. So they go to this body of water, and as they do, the kids are with them. And, and it's important that the children are there. And I want you to think about why it's important that children are there. Because children need to see adults in faith who get serious about the sin in their life and about holiness and righteousness. That they may not, like, hear them, like, call out the, the sin in their life, but it is this moment when they know as a community... There are moments throughout the year, there are times throughout the year we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. But what they quote to each other is Micah chapter 7, verse 19. It's the second to last verse in the book of Micah, and it's this. That God takes us back in his love. This is Micah 7, 19. That God hurls our sins into the depths of the sea that God covers up the sins of people. And think about how powerful that is, even for children to see their grandparents and uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters in faith have this moment when they're like casting stones or bread or bird seed representing the sin in their life as they recite to each other, God takes us back in love. God covers up the sins of his people. And God hurls our sins into the depths of the sea. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus, I mean Ezekiel chapter 47. It may take you a while to get there. It's kind of right in the middle of your Bible. It's a long book, chapter 47. This has become one of the most important chapters in my life over the last five years. The imagery is so, it's just perfect. And Revelation 22 that I read earlier draws from the imagery that we read in Ezekiel chapter 47. And as I read this toward the very end of my message today, as I read this, I just want you to think, where are you in the story I'm about to read? Ezekiel is a prophet of God. And throughout Ezekiel, like you find out pretty quickly, like he, he really has no friends. His wife dies, he's a widow. Like there's a lot of pain in his life. Yet he's this prophet that God continues to give vision and dreams. 
In Ezekiel chapter 47, I want you just to think, like, where, where are you in this story? Ezekiel 47, verse 1 through 12. The man, the man, and this is a vision that he is receiving from God, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. It's like the most holy place in the temple. There's this little trickle, there's this little water, and it's going toward the east for the temple face east, and the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. And as the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. And he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. And he measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river, and their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. So where are you in your life? You ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, caught up in the river? Maybe sitting on the shore, because sometimes we have to go sit on the shore that we can actually open our eyes and see what God is doing all around us. As you turn into a new year, as we turn into a new year, let's go deeper. God's inviting us into the river. If you're ankle deep, praise God by the mercy of God, you're ankle deep. God's inviting you just a little deeper. There are moments that you need to pause and sit and look up to see all that God is doing. And as this story paints a picture of the restoration of God and how God is bringing all things to life, know that God is always dreaming with restoration on his mind. If you're in a moment in your life right now in which you think that maybe God is so disappointed in you, take a look and be reminded of Jesus on the cross. And it was not disappointment that drove him there, but love for you that drove him there. And as we see and reflect on all Jesus has done for us. There's not a moment in your life Jesus looks at you and thinks unredeemable, unlovable, undesirable, unpursuable. He sees you as one that he will continue to invite to deeper places. The water flows because of the goodness of God, not because we are deserving of it. And today as we take the bread and the cup for the final time this year, remember... This word zakar, remember this. It's the word for remember. It's not just realization of the past, but what it means for the future.
but there's a moment in history that has changed history forever. And it's a moment that impacts you now and in the future. The reason we put people to receive you for prayer around this room is because we believe when we come together, God moves. And there are moments when God moves that we need space to articulate or to share that with or people that we trust in moments of prayer. And maybe it's kids who need to see adults who go to places for prayer just to know that the movement of God is moving us. So today we have elders to receive you. My wife Casey will be over here on the right. Kim Chapman will be to my left. And if you're coming to the end of the year and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, why, why not today? Why not trust in Jesus? Why not be baptized into Christ today? And as we come to the table, let us remember all Jesus has done and how Jesus continues to lead us into his future. And we bow our heads, close our eyes. God, we know that this world is in need of healing. And we believe, God, that in and through you there is fruit. So, God, will you hold us close to the center? Will you draw us close to the living water? And, God, we pray that the year 2024 will be a year of great fruit that will come from this church to provide the, the healing to the nations that starts right here in our immediate community. So, God, as we take the bread and the cup today, we remember an event. But it's not just nostalgia. We remember this because it impacts how we live now. So we take this with gratitude and with great joy for all you have done for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. Welcome to the table this morning.